This is episode number 64 with a returning guest from our seventh episode, Greg Wolcott, the Assistant Superintendent for Teaching and Learning in a suburb of Chicago, as well as an adjunct professor and author of the phenomenal book, Significant 72, Unleashing the Power of Relationships in Today's Schools. I first saw Greg speak on an EdWeek social and emotional learning webinar, and this is back in 2016, when he was talking about this concept that he was using in schools that he called Significant 72. And this concept wasn't even a book yet. I thought his idea was powerful, so I wrote it down, and I began telling his story when I was presenting to educators around the country, um, US and Canada. And I'll let Greg tell you more about that. But when I launched this podcast a year ago, I was looking for high quality experts to provide tools and resources that we could all apply to take our results to the next level. And I immediately thought of Greg. We've kept in touch over the entire year since we started, and he's reached out to me with thoughts and ideas of how he sees each episode being applied within the schools. And then we brainstorm new ideas or applications of how the content can help education and the corporate sectors. He makes connections between speakers that I might not have seen and has been an invaluable resource for me to keep moving forward with new speakers and ideas. Welcome back, Greg, and thank you so much for all the support you've given throughout this year to cheer me on. Your help means so much. Well, thank you, Andrea. I'm so excited to be here. And just, you know, as I've told you before, I just love the work you're doing and, and so excited that, that the impact that you're having um, with this whole podcast and, and, and just how it all started and where you've been with, you know, with I want to make an impact even though I can't present at one event. And now the impact you've made is so huge and so much more than if you had had that opportunity to present. And so um, honored to be with you. Honored to be with you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Before I get to the questions, can you just give an overview of what you do over there and where the concept of Significance 72 came from? So, um, you know, I'm an assistant superintendent for teaching and learning, um, and that's my, my full-time job. And then um, part-time, I consult across the United States and, and, and Canada um, around relationships, social-emotional learning, um, MTSS, things like that. And right now, our greatest focus has been in the area of social-emotional learning and and that relationship aspect of that. And, and whether it's, you know, webinars with with the Archdiocese of Miami or, you know, yesterday a school in, in Philadelphia or, or whatever, um, just really working to take the ideas and put them into practice to make sure students are successful um, and to equip staff with tools that they can, you know, that they can use right away. And so, you know, that, that's our big goal. And it's really began with this concept of Significant 72. And so, you know, as you know, um, I'm a research geek, um, all research, education, social, emotional, positive psychology, all the different areas. And one of the things that jumped out to me in the research is um, when I was teaching the grad courses is 
the this research by this gentleman, John Hattie, and Professor Hattie's research talked about the effect size of thing of things that we do in school and how much impact they truly have on students. And, and in that, he he said that an effect size of, of approximately 0.4 of a standard deviation is basically a year's growth in, in a year's time. And said, you know, really we, you know. Are we, um, you know, are the things we're doing in school having that type of effect? And one of the things that he researched um, amongst the, you know, many things um, that he looked at was the impact of teacher-student relationships. And he found that in that relationship, teacher-to-student relationship, um, has a 0.72 effect size. Um, so basically, two years' growth in one year's time. And at the middle school and high school level, much, much higher than that. You know, 0 0.9, 1.0, you know, standard deviation of those teacher-student relationships. So the question I had then is, is, you know, what evidence is there in our schools that our relationship are having that type of effect? And so, you know, that really has driven my work. Um, one of the things that our school district did right away um, is implement um, what we began calling Significant 72, um, you know, six, eight years ago, which was, is the idea that for us, we start school at the start of the school year. Um, on, we have institute days on Monday and Tuesday. And then kids come back Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. So those first three days, 72 hours, um, we began setting aside totally for relationship building. You know, relationships with and between students and how can we focus that time on really getting off on the right track. And then as the year goes on, how can we implement and continue to, to develop those relationships between teacher and student and, and um, you know, and, and and students to students throughout the year and to create, you know, a, a psychologically safe environment where, where kids can feel free to make mistakes, that they, they take feedback, that we can challenge them. Um, you know, we can't challenge them if they don't know we care, you know. So, so how do we, you know, reduce the, the um, social tension in the room so that we can increase the academic tension? You know, and so that's the environment that we're trying to create. And, and now, you know, you know, literally hundreds of schools um, around the United States, Canada, and, and, and a couple in Australia have implemented that concept of consistently implementing those relationships, which then pushed people to say, can you write a, a book more about specifically um, beyond just those connections? what is it that teachers could do to get those great effect sizes? And so that's um, where, where the book is, is, you know, where it all started with that. Wonderful. And what about your, your vision of where things are going to go? Um, for us, school just ended technically in Arizona over here yesterday. So now my kids are officially on summer break and then they go back to school uh, end of July over here. But what, what do you think is going to happen as kids go back into school from the fact that a lot of them didn't even finish school officially? You know, I, I think of, you know, I, I, get, I think I start thinking of immediately um, the, the new, today was my first day, although I've popped in my office for the last two and a half months, um, this is my first day back in the office. And, you know, full time. And I think of all the habits that I formed over that two and a half 
months. And, and I think our kids have fallen into certain habits. And by the time we start school in the fall, it'll have been five or six months. And so, you know, helping kids, um, you know, build off of those positive habits, but start breaking some of those to, to, to get back into the routines of, you know, interacting on a regular basis, interacting appropriately, all those things. Um, I had three brothers and, and I have three brothers. And, and when we grew up, um, you know, the, you know, if it weren't for my parents, the the interaction between my brothers and I was probably not the best modeling, you know, the best thing. And so those would have been habits that I would have put in place that would have had to 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 adapt to when I get back, you know. Um, so there's some new norms going on, and, and we'll have to change those. And so you know, I I think those more easily can be changed. Um, when educators stay connected, and, and I think one of the great things that's happened during this you know, is that I think we've realized that as educators, we got into this profession because of that social interaction. Not because of the curriculum we teach, but because of those connections. And so how can we, um, you know, that's what, what drives us. And our students, you know, they're missing that, we're missing that, you know. Um, so I'm hearing stories of educators around the country with Zoom calls and, and Google Meets and, and Hangouts, all these different things, and um, how it's really the connections, you know. And, and I think what, what we're gonna take away from this is that, um, you know, kids don't, aren't gonna remember what material or concepts they were taught over this time, but they're gonna remember all those different times when they got to connect. And that feeling that happens. And so I think that's what's going to happen. And, and I'm excited as I hear educators um, starting to realize that and relook at it in a different way and, and rethink how, you know, as we are talking, you know, I was on a, a, a meeting with a meeting with an administrator yesterday and talking about how they are continuing the summer food over this, you know, some food over the summer for so many kids that need that and how, you know, at the same time, we better be preparing to provide the summer relationships. And so he and his staff have put together a plan how they can stay connected to kids all summer long. And I think that's what we're realizing. And, and you know, he, he called me back this morning and with a kind of a, a group call with his school improvement team. And, and they said, you know, and, and so we brainstormed some ideas and they're like, why did we never think of this before? Why did we think that three months off kids should just be fine and that they still, especially those who come from vulnerable situations, um, don't, don't continue to need that? And, and so I think we're going to learn and grow from that. Definitely. And I saw on Twitter your pinned tweet was about the fact that educators really should be reaching out to students. And it, what did it have? It's got almost 9,000 likes and 2,000 retweets. I've never seen numbers that high. Yeah, it was, it's kind of interesting how that happened. And that was the day that we, um, you know, driving home the day that in Illinois we were, um, you know, when, when a school was announced that we were going to go on, you know, into remote learning. And, and I just said, hey, you know, we need to get out there. Teachers, you need to, you know, stay connected with your kids. You need to reach out via email or, or, or text or phone call and things like that. And, and yeah, it, it, it kind of blew up and I'm, and I'm so proud of the fact that teachers value that, you know, um, like you said, the likes and, and the retweets are, were cool, but I think kind of looking at the, 
the fact that, you know, in the analytics parts, a half million people viewed that tweet. And, and I think, you know, that shows how much as educators, why we're here. Mm -hmm. um, you know, sadly, there were some comments from people who were like, well, don't, you can't expect me to do that. And, and you can't expect me to reach out to every single kid and things like that. And, and you know, I, I, that was early on. Um, what's been interesting is, you know, of those half dozen, dozen people who, who initially had complaints, how many messages I've gotten back that said, you know what, I was forced to connect because of you and here's all the positives. And so I think that those are the things that, that, that are good. I mean, our kids need that, you know, yeah. all need us. Yeah. I had a text from my, my kid's PE teacher and he said, uh, send me your address. I'm going to come by and I'm going to put a four square in front of your house. I'm going to paint it on the drive. And so on the outside our house right now is four squares and we've got kids all in the neighborhood. And so I haven't played yet because it's been super hot over here, but I thought what a powerful gesture for the PE teacher to ensure that they keep going with some of the activities they were doing in PE because there's no excuse now. We can go outside and throw the ball around when the sun goes down. So all these little things that are just, I'm sure there's a hundred more stories like that. Yeah, t tons. And it's been, it's been cool hearing about them. Um, you know, I, that's cool with the PE teacher. I've heard of classroom teachers that have chalked the walk where they've gone to the sidewalks of the home and then chalk wrote oh, messages in a similar wow. way. Um, you know, um, a, a school district in Kentucky, the local printer gave them um, the blank um, signs that, you know, I guess I would think of signs for, po for, for um, voting yeah. sticking to the ground in the front yeah. yard and things. And he gave, a, he just gave hundreds and hundreds of them to the school district and said, go ahead and write messages to your kids on these. And, and so mm -hmm. the teachers got enough for all their students and they wrote messages and put them out in the streets uh, or went around to the homes and tweet, you know, and, and put them in, um, you know, schools that, um, you know, from more low income situations where when they passed food out on a regular basis, they have manila envelope, uh, handed out a manila envelope with um, um, envelopes addressed back to the school so that kids, you know, stamped envelopes back in so kids could write letters back to their teachers. And, and so that that, you know, letter exchange, just because I didn't have the internet, they still could have that letter exchange and, you know, and just, you know, things like that. Yeah, it's just, I, you know, I've always been proud to be an educator and, 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 and I'm really proud of, of what our teachers have done and across the country in this situation. Absolutely. Well, Greg, you sent me a recent presentation you did and it was called Creating Connections During a Crisis and I loved everything you presented. So. I wanted to ask you some questions that dive a bit deeper into everything you covered. And I don't know if now would be a good time for you to share your screen so you can explain right now why you think it's so important to prioritize social emotional learning in today's educational space. Well, thank you, Andrea. And so, yes, that, that presentation, in that presentation, I really spoke of the impact of COVID and, and and, and, and not just the impact of COVID and, and the fact that we're hearing that, you know, um, over the last two months, um, uh, prescription medicine for anxiety and things like that has gone up 40 to 60%. Um, we know the impact that, that was there before and, and continues to be. And, and the, you know, and, and, and 
the, the vicarious trauma for, for people as well as the regular trauma from people that has, have come from this. And, and I think, and, you know, of three specific students and, and, and that, that I know, and, and Jada is a, is a young lady, um, second grader, um, you know, just, um, the, just the neatest young ladies, just, you know, super excited about school. Um, and very extroverted. And when she gets to school um, on a typical day, um, it's like it, it's like her talent show. You know, she is just out there, and everyone's interacting and loving. And she really, really sh is struggling through the situation because, in essence, her her talent show opportunities and her strengths on display have been taken away. And she's at home now because of the absence of school. And, and her mom reached out because she was really struggling with, you know, physical behavior with her with her siblings. Um, I think of another boy, Mateo, that that we worked with, and and Mateo comes from um, a low income situation, and he is um, a seventh grader, and um, mom goes to work, and he is stuck in the home with his with his siblings and can't leave the, the apartment because of potential violence. And that the challenge he's having is anger. And, and he's taking out his anger on his siblings. And, and then I think of Becca, who's a, a family friend who um, comes from a, a home with not a lot of money um, and has really focused, she, she's a sophomore, really focused on sports and academics to help her get a scholarship to get into college. And, you know, now losing the track season, losing the potential basketball season in the fall, her mind is spinning with, with what could happen. And, um, you know, all three of these kids are students that, you know, may or may not have seemed like they have social emotional needs during the regular school year, but in this situation are having them. And, and so, you know, how we address that, um, you know, I've told you before, I'm, I'm, I'm dyslexic. And so I have to make, um, I have to make acronyms for things because it helps me, you know, you know, uh, organize information. And, and, and I think that the, the, the acronym I use in the book is every student has a story. And, and I think when, and as teachers, we need to know that story. But from an SEL perspective, we need students to learn their own story. Um, you know, what are their strengths? What are their tendencies? What opportunities do they have for growth? what resources are available to them and, and what their yearnings are. And, and we have to help kids realize that. And I think that's an important piece of, of social emotional learning. But then what we've learned as kids start to understand the story acronym that we're gonna go through from a personal perspective, they can also start to view it through a peer perspective. And it helps them interact better with peers. So via Lee, Dr. Lee Waters, who, who wrote a, an incredible book called Strengths to Switch, I, I think when we think of strengths, it's one of those areas that students do well, that they choose often to do, and that they really get energized by, you know, and, and we want kids to, you know, really look at those strengths, especially in times of crisis right now. Um, you know, when, when we feel we have no control, it's great to lean back on those strengths. And, and so how do we get them to do that? And one of the tools that we use um, do, during the school year and, and many districts I've been working with have been doing during this remote learning is the Virtues and Actions 
Institute, VA Character Institute's free survey on strengths. And basically there's 24 strengths. Um, you know, we use this with um, adults in our PLCs as well, but students can, can take this survey and it ranks orders their strengths from, from one to 24, what they use most to what they use least. Um, it then gives a free printout. And so kids then, here's my sons, can see what their strengths are in order. Um, and those top six strengths, their signature strengths, are really the ones that are, are gonna be there if they take the test over and over again. And, and so we want kids to start seeing those, those strengths, believing that they have those strengths, and then thinking of times that they've used them. You know, um, one of the homework assignments that kids are, are doing right now that, that when many of the schools we work with is My Strengths Monday. And they look at, it's a, you know, kind of generic um, writing activity that, that can be adapted, adapted by grade level, but they choose one of these signature strengths and talk about how they use that strength in this week. Um, or how they could use, you know, when they're struggling, how they could use that strength. And, and so, oh, go ahead. Just a comment from here. I actually went on that site to take a look at it yesterday, and I saw that we could actually do it. And I wonder, have you done this yourself? And I wonder what your top strengths are, if you remember. Yep, yep. I, I, I have done it um, several times, and it comes out the same. Um, you know, curiosity um, is, is my number one strength. Um, creativity, gratitude, um, zest. Um, create, I said creativity. I, I can't remember the, the other one, but, um, you know, yeah, it, it, it's awesome. And, and, it, and we use it like, just like you said, we use it with our teachers, with their PLCs because it helps our coaches. It helps, um, principals better get to know staff and again, staff to get to know each other. Um, and so, because our strengths become our identities, right? And, and so, you know, in, until we, you know, if, if we're searching for an identity, who knows where we may find it um, or, or, or think it is. But when we can go through something like this, we, we, we have something tangible that says, yeah, that's who I am. And, and so we can start to connect and identify with that. And, and um, you know, another um, free strengths tool um, for younger students is called Thrively. Um, and it's a, a free survey tool and, um, you know, for, for, for students from first grade on up. And, and so, you know, there are several tools out there for that. So first piece is that strengths. The, the second piece then for kids and for us is to think about, okay, we know our strengths. What are our tendencies? And, and those are those patterns or trends um, that, that we display. What, you know, what, what do I look like? Or, you know, what do I do? Um, when I get frustrated in class, what do I do? When it, something gets is overly challenging, um, you know, how do I enter, you know, how do I handle that task? Um, you know, we know from from the brain research and, and tying together some of your awesome podcasts, um, you know, we know that there's three parts of the brain, um, the brainstem, safety and survival, the limbic system, the emotional part and, and the prefrontal cortex, the executive function part. And that if that lower brain, if we get stuck in that lower brain and, and the brainstem wondering if we're, we're safe or the limbic system, you know, wondering if we're loved, um, if we're stuck in that space, we can't get to, to the prefrontal cortex where all the learning happens. And, and you know, so as much as, as teachers, we want to 
push to that prefrontal cortex, we can't really do that if we're not in the right state of mind. And, and we know, and we work with kids to understand um, that, or we work with educators to understand that, you know, too many educators, um, stealing a quote, a quote from John Gordon, um, there, there's such a focus on the fruit, that prefrontal cortex work, and not enough on the, the root, which is that emotional root, you know, work. And that we have, if we want to, 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 to get to what we need to do, uh, we really have to write, focus on that root. And, and so we, we work with students starting at first grade um, to talk about flipping their lid and, and that there are times that if you're functioning in that upstairs brain or, or you know, in, in, in the prefrontal cortex, um, there are times when we're just going to flip. And so, you know, the acronym for that is, you know, food. If we don't have food, you know, we get hangry, <laughs> we're more likely to flip our lid. Um, we know if we're lonely, if we don't have a friend, um, you know, it, we're more likely to flip our lid. We know if we get irritated with someone or, or we feel that we're being challenged in, in, in some way um, that really challenges one of our psychological needs and get irritated, we're going to flip our lid. We know if we're super tired you know, we're, we're going to flip our, our lid or, or, you know, a little boy I was talking to about it. Um, we were going through it and he said, I, I forgot one. And I said, well, what do you mean? I forgot one. He said, you said flipped my lid. I forgot. You forgot the T and it was so cute. And, and so I was like, I got to think of something else to go with it flipped. And, and, and it's threat, you know, when we feel threatened, um, in some way, we're going to flip our lid. And so we could be totally working in that prefrontal cortex and, and doing great cognitive work. If one of these things happens, you know, we're, we're, we have that tendency and it's normal. And, and we want to keep teaching kids that that's normal. Um, you know, and, and then one of the things we teach is that when we flip the, our lid, we start playing this mental merry-go-round where these thoughts just start spinning in our heads, you know, and they start ruminating. And, and we know from, from research that, you know, if you want to call them mind traps or thought holes, you know, that there's these certain phrases that, that we start, you know, ruminating on, you know, for some it's, you know, it's my fault. It's my fault. And, and I start, you know, blaming myself for others. When we're in that emotional piece for the kids, it's, it's blaming someone else. Um, you know, uh, for some, it's, it's feeling that we have no control and, and that we go through that mindset of, gosh, I have no control over this. You know, there's nothing I can do about it. Um, you know, another one is it's going to happen again. Um, you know, and we can start perseverating. And, and there are, you know, I, I think about 10 of these with, we kind of introduce them at different grades with kids, but, but, you know, there's 10 of these tendencies that, that start to happen. And so we want kids to, and adults, to start thinking of, okay, that mental merry-go-round is normal when we're stressed, when we flip our lid, and here's some of the things we might be saying to ourselves, and those are normal to say that, but what can we do about it, you know? And, and so, um, you know, strikes, tendencies, then always opportunities. And, and, and what are those opportunities that, for growth that really lie ahead? For, for each student, you know, we all have certain tendencies that happen. Um, you know, um, Mateo, who I talked about earlier, um, Mateo's tendency is to want to blame someone else. 
And when he blames someone else, his go-to move is to want to hit. Um, and, and so, you know, we, we've kind of taught him, um, you know, help him process so that he understands that. So then, you know, he can start recognizing it. And, and you know, big, big, big idea we try to get across to students and staff is that, you know, just because you're feeling that emotion, it's, it's just information. It, it, it's nothing more than information. Um, fear is good sometimes. Fear is great if a bear is running into this room because it's going to cause me to jump out the window, right? It's going to, it's going to, you know, cause me to breathe short, deep or short, quick breaths from my chest, oxygenate, oxygenate my, my blood to give me energy to get out. Um, fear is probably not a, a good thing right now as I'm doing this, this webinar. You know, because um, I wouldn't be calm. I wouldn't be able to relax and focus. And so, you know, it's just data. Now, it, you know, and not, it's not telling us we have to do something, um, but it's just information for us, kind of, you know, formative assessment. And, and, and I think that's important because, um, you know, I use, as you know, a lot of analogies. And, and my daughter um, had friends over to our pool. And I know you have a pool and, and I don't know if you, you and your kids have played the beach ball challenge where you take a beach ball and you hold it under the water, you know, as long as you can to see how long you can hold it. And then pretty soon you get tired and it, you know, it just pops. And, and so the girls are out there with their, you know, with their iPhones timing each other, how far they, how, how they can hold it under the water. And, and I think that that's what, what we do with our emotions and that, you know, we're playing beach ball challenge where we're trying to hold those emotions under the water. And at some point, we just can't hold them any longer. And so we want to talk to kids about how that's normal. Um, but then we have to talk to them about how to process that, that information. And so the opportunity that the, the way we look at it is that our opportunity then is to really, um, you know, teach them a, a very strategic three-step process. Um, process one is recognizing those, those emotions. You know, um, for, for Mateo, when he feels that he's starting to, you know, ball up his fist, um, he needs to recognize that. Um, then he needs to categorize it. Okay, that feeling um, is, is anger. Anger is a normal feeling right now. To, you know, it, it, it's normal to feel anger at times, all right, now what do I do with it? So recognize, categorize, and strategize. Now that I've recognized this feeling, you know, or, or as Mark Brackett, who you had on, you know, talks about in his book, Permission to Feel, you have to name it to tame it, right? And, and so we've got to recognize it, categorize it, and then to tame it is really to strategize. What tools am I going to use, you know? So Mateo, when you feel like you need to hit somebody, what tools are we going to use to to get you back to a better a better way so that you don't act and and as as my my friend um, uh, Reg Jane at, at the Flourishing Center talks about that recognizing is really an awareness stage um, and so critical that categorizing um, though is crucial to to give ourselves that compassion. And, and, you know, one of your most recent guests talked about how, um, I think it was Lori, when you had her on, she talked about when we can name that emotion, 
it dissipates by 40% or something like that, I think she said. And, and I think, it, and that also, you know, not only when we can name that emotion that when, when Mateo says this is anger, not only does it start to dissipate, but he's given himself, you know, self-compassion that, all right, this, this is normal. Everyone feels anger at some time. And then strategizing, I think, is really that management piece. And so I think by helping kids through these, this three-step process, it really can start regulating their emotions. And, and so I think that's an opportunity that, that we can do with kids. And, and, you know, with that recognizing, as I said, what are the thoughts, body sensations, the tendencies, the go-to moves? We, we want to help them. Um, categorize them. We want to name those emotions. So it, it's crucial to help, you know, social-emotionally build kids' emotional vocabularies. Um, and, and think about what, again, if, if emotions are just data, what is that data telling us? You know, what does that emotion tell me I need um, and, and what it's doing? And, and then lastly, strategizing. Um, what do I need to get to that, you know, back to my, my, my destination? And so, you know, that three-step process we found incredibly helpful. Um, we also, at that time, um, do a lot with, um, you know, kind of given a, a, a mantra to kind of relax. And so the, the mantra we use is, you know, we're talking all the time in schools about I can statements for learning targets. And, and so, you know, you know, our, our self-target is, all right, I can inhale and exhale. And so we're trying to teach the kids that when they're having those emotions, you know, when Mateo's feeling that way, or, or Becca's worried about her college scholarship, that she pauses a second and says, okay, I can inhale and exhale. You know, I can calm my body and my mind and get back to, 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 that, to that center point where I want. Um, I can accept that I'm going to have good days and bad days, that there's going to be days where I'm really worried about that scholarship um, and, and that, that I may lose it. Um, you know, there are bad days like that, but there's also going to be good days where I don't even think about it. And that, you know, I can navigate forward in a positive way. And, and for her, her, what tools can she use to kind of calm her mind? And so, you know, we teach kids, you know, um, this process to, again, get themselves ready. And, and, and then, and, and there are great tools for that. Um, one of my favorite is a free tool from closedgap.org, um, which is just outstanding where, in essence, kids are going in and they're checking their feelings, um, you know, that it's, it's almost that three-step process right there built in the program. Um, Mark Brackett, as, you, as you've had on, like I said, has his mood meter. And the mood meter where, where you're going through, whether kids are using the app or adults are using the app or, or kids at school are using posters, again, it's that three-step process. Here's where I'm at. Here's what I'm feeling. You know, I'm recognizing that, you know, on Mark's, you know, here's my level of pleasantness and my level of, of, of energy, um, you know, naming that emotion or, 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 you know, categorizing it into an emotion and then strategizing, what am I going to do next? So, so there are tools out there. Um, a colleague of mine um, has developed another one, Class Catalyst. Um, the nice thing about Class Catalyst, um, that it has strategies built in and it starts teaching kids a strategy bank. Um, and, and so, you know, there's computerized programs for that. Um, but 
you know, not everyone's going to have that computerized program with them, you know? And so from a resource piece, we're talking about strengths, tendencies, opportunities from a resource. We, we want kids to realize what resources they have to assist them, you know, and the number one resource I, I think we have from a social emotional perspective is this is, is our vagus nerve. And, and I think anyone who talks about social emotional learning um, and doesn't, um, you know, think of how students can use the vagus nerve and, and understand that um, is five years behind. You know, I, I you know, and, and I think your podcasts have proven that. Um, cutting edge is all right. You know, the vagus nerve is where it's at and how we calm ourselves. And and it's you know, we know that when we stimulate that vagus nerve, um, it helps put us into that rest and digest state, um, and it calms us. And and so whether that be things like belly breathing, you know, and, and we, we, you know, I talked about that, that example of fear um, with the bear, you know, if one hand, I, if right now I put one hand on my chest and one on my stomach with good breaths, I should be feeling my, you know, in a calm state, I should be feeling my, um, you know, my stomach going in and out because um, I'm getting nice full, you know, breaths. When I do that, that stimulates that nerve and still helps calm me, which then in, in process helps that even more. If I am breathing all through my chest and, and my top hand is, is moving, then I know that, I, that you know, I'm in that, that, that fight or flight almost mode and, and I'm using a different part of the nervous system. And, and so how, how can I breathe differently? So we teach um, belly breathing, meditating, uh, mindfulness, you know, EFT tapping, which I'm a huge fan of, havening, where you um, just give yourself some deep, firm, you know, pressure in different areas, that vagus nerve, um, you know, so many things, humming, you know, yoga, sensory paths, and different movements in school, so many of these things can activate that vagus nerve, and so we want kids to know that that's a resource they have. And, and that these are strategies they can use to help get them more, you know, regulated. And, and obviously, just the human connection piece uh, is so important, that we have that human connection. Um, box breathing is my, my favorite, um, and, and that's a tool that I use. Um, with kindergartners and, and preschool kids, belly breathing where they put that animal on their belly and again do those belly breasts just that light weight of, of the of the stuffed animal puts a little pressure on the vagus nerve and helps relax um the eft tapping where you 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 say a script and you tap the different meridians um, on your body you know that's been so powerful we've had such success um, we learned about EFT tapping, especially with students of trauma and, and who've had trauma experiences and, and even some staff who've had traumatic experiences. Um, you know, and again, there's, you know, hundreds of resources out there. Um, Mind Yeti, Gozen, a lot of these different great resources that go along with that vagus nerve. And, and then lastly, or, or even the trauma tools in the classroom are great. Uh, and then lastly, so we have strengths, tendencies, opportunities, resources, and yearnings. You know, what do kids really want and desire? You know, what, what are their goals? And, and so we really want kids to, to be thinking about those goals. And we know that um, from, from self, self-determination theory, 
that we all have these basic psychological needs of, uh, the, you know, I call them the ABCs, economy, belonging, and competence. Um, you know, feeling that we have control, feeling that we're cared for, and, and feeling effective. You know, psychological needs that we all have. And I think specifically now, um, in this COVID time, um, we're being challenged in many of those ways. Um, you know, we, we don't have choice. We're being forced in the home, you know, forced to work, you know, you know, out of the house. Um, we feel social distance and, and don't have that belonging. And then we feel, you know, for many of us, we don't feel competent because in education right now because I was never taught how to teach remote learning. And so all of these things, when any one of those, or in this situation for many, all three, um, are not met, the stress and anxiety, you know, increases. So, you know, what are we yearning for? Um, you know, what, what are those things? And, and so we know from autonomy, the autonomy piece, we know in Edutopia just did a great study that in this remote learning experience, Kids who um, were given autonomy in their activities completed 90% more of their at-home school work than other kids if they were given some autonomy in it. And so we do a lot of those writing activities, Genius Hour, Passion Projects. You know, so, so for Monday, My Strengths Monday, um, Tuesday, high school kids, um, TED Talk Tuesday. And we say, you know what, go to the, to, to um, you know, you can Google um, best TED Talks for middle school, high school kids. You'll see a whole list of those. And, and kids, pick one of those and write about it. Um, teammate Tuesday could be for younger kids, a, someone who really helped them that way, a teammate that helped them become as successful. And those have been cute as we've seen, you know, um, the cutest one was the, the lady who packs my groceries at the grocery store um, is, is my, gets my teammate award because she's got to take everyone's food and see everyone at the store, even the sick people, you know, and, 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 and you know, but she's doing that for me. And, and so things like that, you know, what went well Wednesdays for gratitude and, and thankful Thursdays or, or thirsty Thursdays is really, you know, I'm thirsty for knowledge. What's something you really want to learn? Um, and, and, you know, fantastic Friday or, or Friday folly, something that, that was silly, but those help with the autonomy, um, that belonging, you know, as we said, how are we reaching out to make those connections because they're so important or, you know, how many times your guests who talked about, you know, how social the brain is. You know, I think of John Medina when he was on, you know, the social brain. And, and so we want to feel that, feel that we're greater, part of something better than ourselves. Um, I've seen a lot of service learning, um, a, a lot of design thinking projects that, that really help. Um, you know, um, kids in schools who during this time have had kids write letters to first responders or to, to people at nursing homes. All of those increase that feeling of belonging. Um, and then lastly, competence. And, and how do we feel that sense of competence? And, and one of the ways that we found is the best way to feel that through goal setting. And, and so um, we follow the, the WHOOP goal process um, from um, Angela Duckworth at the Character Lab. And you know, she talks about wish, outcome, um, obstacle, and plan. And, and she talks about, you know, if then, 
goal, goal setting where, where we, you know, identify some obstacle and then a plan to overcome it. And, and this, you know, how powerful she and Gabrielle Otengen talk about how powerful it is to have this mental contrasting where we say, here's an obstacle. Um, I, you know, I'm setting this goal, but I know that this obstacle is likely to, you know, to happen. What am I going to do when it happens? And, and we have found and pretty much thrown away all smart goal setting um, because whoop goal setting has just changed our mindset. And, and increase that competence. Um, Dr. Jason Selk has um, what he calls the 100 second mental workout. And, and this is, is kind of like creating a mental highlight reel for yourself um, and things that you're gonna do. And um, it's, it's another one that we've used to great success um, to help us feel competent, especially in these tough situations. Um, you know, so, so, so those are the, you know, that, that's kind of that concept of story. Um, and, and, and that acronym and, and, you know, where I, where I kind of tie that, tie it all up then is, you know, in this time, you know, I can't wait to travel more. And one of the places that my family and I travel to all the time is, is my brother lives in a small town in, in Wisconsin, no cities around except for Wabasha, Minnesota. Um, which is where this movie Grumpier Old Men was filmed. I don't know if you remember ever seeing that movie. And, and so this town really has nothing but pictures of these guys everywhere, um, you know, because it was filmed there. But they also have the National Eagle Center. And um, every time we see my brother, we go to the National Eagle Center. And the kids love it because, you know, they get to see, obviously, the eagles. And, and they're literally, you know, six feet from the eagles. And, and so my kids go, you know, we got to go, Dad. We got to go. And, and every time we go. And, and we've been there several times. And um, my, my son, um, for the first time, realized that there was something wrong with the eagles that were there. And the, the eagle was sitting on the, on the trainer's arm, and, and as the trainer was talking, the eagle fell off and fell down to the ground and was trying to get back on the eagle's arm. And, and when he did that, um, the eagle was just flapping with its one good wing and going around in a circle. And it was just heartbreaking. And, and my kids looked down at this eagle as it's going around in a circle. And, and you just feel this helpless feeling, you know. And, and my son at the time, um, you know, looks up at me with his beautiful little blue eyes. And he says, Dad, you know, an eagle needs two wings to soar. And it just hit me when he said that. And it, it made me really connect to where we are in schools and, and, and the world today. And, and our kids need two wings to soar. They need an academic wing and a social emotional wing. And too many of our kids are, are struggling right now. And I think too many of our adults are struggling um, because we put so much attention on that academic wing, but didn't build that social emotional wing. And too many kids and too many adults are going around in circles, not able to lift off because they haven't developed both wings. And, and so when I think of social emotional learning, um, I think that we have to, um, you know, we have to develop both of those wings. And, and, and once we do that, then it's our job to help give flight. And, and we do that by really just unleashing our awesomeness 
You know, as educators, we, we've got a passion to help kids. And, and once we can develop those two wings, you know, our great calming words and, 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 and things like that and, and our emotions and our support and those relationships are what then give the, the, the kids flight. And so, um, you know, that's kind of my, my view of, of social emotional learning and, and um, you know, the success we've had is through kind of putting that into action. That's so powerful, Greg, your acronym story. When I saw this webinar that you did, it really hit me with the strengths because the strengths that this test discovered stay with you for your whole life. Like when I did mine, I thought these are things that when I was in eighth grade, I noticed about myself. So that's why I think it's powerful that you're doing this with students. I tried to get my 10 year old to do it and she wasn't having it. So <laughs> got to try another day, but um, just to have them figure out what their strengths are, then you've got a snapshot into where they're going to operate from. Yeah. And, and I think one of the things I've learned from, from all my po colleagues in that positive psychology realm, and, and especially from, you know, reading that great book, Strength Switch by Lee Waters, um, who'd be an awesome guest sometime for you. It, she, um, it is that, you know, there's a flip, you know, th th there's a shadow side to every strength. So like curiosity is, is my number one signature strength. But one of the challenges is that, um, you know, I have a stack of, you know, 200 books in my office and at home to still read because I'm so curious. I keep buying um, or, or I'm searching on Twitter and, and I see something that looks great and I send it to my inbox and all of a sudden my, in, you know, so there, there's, you know, but, but it helps me understand myself, you know, and why I do different things and, and how I can use, use those strengths to my advantage. Absolutely. And then it really helped me to see from an assistant superintendent's point of view, for credibility purposes, the resources, because, you know, for some of these strategies, they're not yet known or readily accepted that you might be using them uh, with success. But maybe in Arizona, if I start talking about tapping um, for trauma, people might not yet be ready for it. So it really does help to hear all the strategies that, that I've been talking about over here that's I know that you're using with success. So that does help a lot for us. Awesome. Is there anything that you think we might've missed? I know that you've gone really deep into the story that we need to recognize for our students, for ourselves as parents, as educators, and even the workplace. Is there any, kind, any connection here that you think we just didn't touch on? So I think that the, the piece, you know, obviously I think this acronym has, has helped students, um, but I think I get most feedback from teachers who have said that now they better understand their own social emotional needs, how better to in routines, um, you know, to help, you know, self-care, um, to, to look at themselves differently. Um, to catch their tendencies, you know, when, when a little, you know, when, when a little Jack is, whose signature strength, one of them is zest, is, is got that zest button, you know, volume turned way up. And I got to calm him that I realize that, you know, I want to say, Jack, pay attention. And really, it's his exuberance. 
and that he just needs to learn how to dial that down and that it's not me, you know? And so I think it's, it's, it's that piece that we know, you know, if social emotional learning becomes, you know, that 45 minutes Thursdays from two to two forty-five, um, it's never going to be successful. But when, when social emotional learning becomes the basis for my classroom and part of everything I do and, and how I create a psychologically safe environment in my classroom um, so I can intellectually challenge students. When, when that happens, um, then social emotional learning can be successful. Um, and, and that, but that it really has to help us as well. And, and, and I think that's a, a piece that really is, is powerful. Absolutely. I agree. And doing this podcast, I'm learning so much about myself. So this is such a, an incredible opportunity to not just interview people like you and share, but to now try to implement some of these ideas and try to get my kids to take the strength test and to see what happens. They're not going to always do what you want them to do. So you've got to you know, pace yourself with this and, and understand it's a process that we're not going to all get everything perfect, but we've got tons of ideas and resources now to implement. And Greg, I want to thank you so much for taking your time to share your significant 72 book, your story, ideas and resources, and for making the neuroscience SEL connection. So that, that was powerful for me to, uh, to have you come in and say, I see it and here's what we're doing. It really does help to bring credibility to what we're doing here. So if anyone wants to learn more, they can go to significant72.com to get your book and they can find you on Twitter, Greg J. Wolcott to reach you. Um, is there any other um, place that they can reach you or anything else that you're working on that you want to share about? No, I appreciate it. We are, um, as, as we're getting the ideas more in schools, um, we're starting a, uh, a center for school, for, for social emotional learning in schools. Um, the Learner First Center for Social Emotional Learning in Schools so that we can really, um, you know, everyday practices and, and and instead of just program after program, you know, there's a place for programs in in a well-developed social emotional learning plan. Um, but we need to go beyond that in, into everyday practices that teachers can do on the fly. You know, when I come in from recess and see my kids are too hyped up, you know, I, I need to know that box breathing is a tool I can use with them you know, or the belly breathing, things like that. So, so we want to put together a place that has, you know, free resources where people can just go and get them. Love it. Well, I'll continue to follow and support everything you or everything that you're doing. And I want to thank you again for all your ideas that are impacting the success of us here with the podcast. Well, thank you always for, for, for what you're doing, because I look forward every week to your podcasts and, and how I can take what you're learning, what you're teaching and what your guests are, are sharing and how we continue to, to translate that into schools. So thank you so much. Wonderful. Thank you, Greg. If you're enjoying the Neuroscience Meets Social and Emotional Learning podcast, please don't forget to subscribe so you'll stay up to date with our new episode. While you're there, please feel free to give us a review or a five-star rating as it helps others find us. For more information on our programs, books, and tools for schools and the workplace, visit us at www.achieveit360.com.